For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. Okay, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm Matt, he's Larry, and you know we just want to kind of wrap up the season for you guys. As always, do us a favor, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a friend if you have questions, things you want us to talk about on the show, suggestions for guests, all that good stuff. Let us know, and uh, we'll try to line those up for you. I think this summer we're going to try to get you a couple fresh voices, former Wizards, things like that, people involved with the team, and uh, just introduce some, some new perspectives that we haven't had on the show before. Since we last talked, we had Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks announce sort of a, an impromptu media session. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is it. You know, we're going to announce a coaching change or something. And the first question to Tommy Shepard was, hey, when will you decide on Scott Brooks? And he said, look, we're not going to talk about that here today. That's not what we're here for. And it basically became like an hour long victory parade for them making the playoffs is is a little tacky in my opinion you know like i, I think you know you, you probably have to do it but uh it seems like the bar has been pretty low and actually at some point during that tommy shepherd said first round playoff exits will no longer be acceptable for this franchise and my response to that is well should they have ever been acceptable as you know sort of the pinnacle of achievement for a team uh larry the first sort of highlights from from shepherd's portion of the availability he said we have to add more depth certainly Essentially, we ran out of players in the playoffs. We need to get more athleticism, certainly on the wing. And our moves need to be about production and not about the press conference. And then he sort of took a shot at the media because they nobody really thought the Robin Lopez, how old Neto pickups were particularly sexy. But he, you know, he loved how they turned out. And, you know, he was right all along kind of stuff, which they were good. I don't know if I would... Um, you know, pat myself on the back for them too much. But uh, what what do you think about sort of that first set of things about what they need to emphasize in the offseason? Well, I think the the note of uh, just speaking on the last point of picking up uh, Neto and, and Lopez, I don't think, obviously, there you, you're trying to build a team and you're running through, you know, with Wall going out. So you kind of, you know, the fan base is in a is in a funny place because they don't know what's going on. So when you pick up, you know, those two guys, you say, Hey, they're going to help us win. You can expect, but you can understand that people have some, 
not so great feelings about that, right? They want to see production. So I, I completely understand that. Um, and it is about, you know, putting the pieces together to put a good team out on the court. And that's what I think that these guys are trying to do. And I think the notes are, are you know, very positive. They understand what they were lacking. And now it's about filling those gaps with the people that are going to give them production. And it's not about the name, you know, that's necessarily the back of the jersey. It's about what that player can, how that player can produce. And I think that that's a great way to look at it because, again, there are household names and then there's guys that just can flat out play basketball. And, you know, when you're building, it's good to have those guys that can flat out play basketball, uh, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm not trying to take anything away from those pickups. Like Neto especially was a real surprise to me this year. Like uh, I, I just – the way he looked in Philly last year, I did not expect him to play the same role he did this year on – on what ended up being a really reasonable contract for them. I just thought it was funny that he felt the need to sort of needle the media about like, look what I did. Like, okay, man, like that's sort of your job. Like, thank you for doing that, which is great. I'd rather them work out than not work out. So uh, that was a little funny, but uh, yeah, like I said, he said losing the first round would no longer be acceptable. I think that's something everybody wants to hear that, that says to, to the fan base, you know, we are going to make moves to be better next year. And he got asked if, Ted Leonsis would go above the luxury tax to allow them to bring in sort of bigger impact players or marquee players. And this is sort of one, I heard this a little differently, I think, than most people reported it. He didn't answer that question with, yes, Ted has told us he will definitely cut a check to go into the tax. He said, Ted has never told us no here. And I think that's it doesn't mean he'll never tell us no. It means he hasn't told us no yet. And then he went in to qualify it with, it depends on what that addition would get us, you know, what the expectations are. Like, you know, maybe for the right move, he would be willing to go sort of above that threshold. That wasn't like, yeah, we're going to be big spenders in this offseason. And I, I think people sort of took that and ran with it a little bit. But given where they're going to be cap-wise next season, th- there aren't a lot of movable pieces on this. Do, do you see them kind of having to dip into that sort of luxury tax water to really improve this roster? Man, you know what? You, you never know. I mean, in, in the game today with all the players being so close and, you know, communicating and talking to one another, I was never a guy that would recruit guys per se, you know, when I was on a team, but, you know, obviously new guys that I would like to play with that we would maybe work well together. Sure. So I think it's a matter now really just understanding, you know, is Bragg going to be a recruiter, right? I mean, is there, you know, there's somebody that he likes. I mean, it's going on in the league. I mean, that's how the league is, is being formed today with Brooklyn and the Lakers and all of these situations of, of super teams uh, is what they're calling them. But it's really the main guy, you know, on the team, you know, kind of reaching out to guys that are in certain situations to see if there's an opportunity for, for them to play together. Mm. And in that instance, in that scenario, I think that, you know, an owner would be more, inclined to go into the book, you know, to write those checks if that's what you're building. So I think it's going to be a balance of what they're actually trying to build and how they're going to use the chip that they have with with Brad of being, you know, one of the league's best to start to figure out if they're going to run into that issue because he's going to have to play a role in people coming to play in D.C. at this point. Um, and again, if that happens, you're going to have to open up the checkbook because you can't tell Brad no if he goes out and have conversation with these guys. You can't tell him no 
or he's on the next thing smoking. Exactly. And I think that's sort of the interesting thing. And, and to your point, Brad did say he intends to start working the phones and, and trying to bring guys in. And, and you bring up a really interesting point. If Brad comes in and says, I really want to play with this guy and I've sold him on the idea of playing here. It's really hard as a front office to be like, nah, Brad, sorry, we can't, we can't afford it. I wouldn't want to be in the room for that conversation. Like you tell your marquee player that, by the way, hasn't really inked that long, long-term deal with the organization yet that no, we're, we're really not going to sort of open the wallet for you. Larry, if you were, you're in your prime of your career, you're looking to sort of make a payday, but also have like, this is the time I'm going to try to make a deep playoff run. Would the idea of playing next to Beal and Westbrook appeal to you? Like, I get it because they're big names or whatever, but there's such high usage between the two of them that if I'm that sort of up and coming guy, I look at that as like, uh, am I ever going to touch the ball? I mean, we talked a lot about how they marginalized Rui at certain points this year. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that particular pairing would really excite me too much. Yeah, not me. I, I wasn't too interested in playing with, with ball dominant guys. Mm-hmm. And if those those guys were ball dominant, it takes the system uh, that the coach is going to yeah. uh, put in, into place that's going to make sure that there's, you know, not saying there's equal opportunity, but there's opportunity to make you know things happen. So for me, it's it's not something that, you know, if I'm in the prime of my career, I'm looking to play more in the Golden State model mm-hmm. versus play in, you know, one person dominates the basketball model which a number of the NBA teams have. But when you talk about just being fluid and just being, you know, having talented players on the court, I think, you know, just being that ball dominant uh, system is what wouldn't be interesting for me. Um, And I'm sure that's, you know, how a lot of guys feel as well. Yeah. So I think that makes it even more important that you understand what you're going to try to do next year. And that Brad isn't just, Hey, I think this guy's tough to play against. He's my friend. I'm going to recruit him. It has to be like a coordinated, that guy would make sense with what we want to do next year. And a couple names that have sort of trickled out already. We talked about DeMar DeRozan as one of them in the last uh, last episode. Apparently Andre Drummond as a name that's come up again. And again, I don't know if that's just not having time to gel with with the Lakers, but he didn't look particularly impressive in the playoffs. And then the last name was Jeremy Grant. Grant had a much higher offensive role in Detroit this year, you know, looked like an all-star for a large portion of the season, long, capable defender. If I'm him specifically, I look at that and I'm like, well, now I would have to take, I'd have to regress offensively back to sort of what I was in Denver. I just, that's sort of the kind of guy where I don't really see why it would be super appealing to them. Well, it's those guys that he's gotten his money. You know, yeah. you know, he's he's trying to check, so he would be more inclined to <laughs> take that position to see if there's an opportunity to win. Because I mean, you're in Detroit, you're in a completely rebuilding mode. Mm-hmm. But now that you've signed your check, you know, you've done well for yourself. I think that is a guy, you know, that would listen to that conversation versus, you know, someone that's maybe waiting to sign their deal and not on such a good team. But those guys want to sign their deal, and then we can talk about the other opportunities that are out there. He left Denver, right, because he wanted to a bigger role. Sure. But, you know, those guys are rock and roll in the playoffs, so there's money to be gained there as well. So it's a balance when you talk about these guys moving and what they're actually moving for. 
I always encourage guys to sign that check and then figure it out uh, afterwards. Yeah, that that's smart. I mean, get get paid and then worry about all all the other stuff. And I got to imagine for him, you go from a team where you were pretty successful, you made a Western Conference Finals, those things, and now all of a sudden, like you are a bottom five team in the league. And you know, maybe he thought not just get paid, but I can help turn this team around, and and maybe they'll make some big free agent moves, and they really didn't. That that might be one of those things where he says like, "Hey, I've done winning and I've done rebuilding, and I'd prefer to go back to winning." And I think the one thing that might make that appeal, the Washington situation appeal more to someone like Grant is Russ is going to taper off here eventually. I would think you maybe have another two years of this level of player and, you know, maybe those roles flip flop in two years or whatever. Uh, you know, Grant starts to take on more of a role and Russ sort of takes more of a backseat. I, I don't know if that sort of fits or not, but maybe that sort of long term opportunity to then you know be the number two guy or whatever would help somebody like that find it more appealing. Yeah, I think you just have to to see, you know, what, again, we talked about early on in the season, just understanding what guys, when you bring guys to your team, understanding what they're looking for, what they're trying mm-hmm. to accomplish, right? If somebody's coming over to win and they've already been paid, yep. they are okay or not necessarily okay, but they understand the pecking order a little bit more, even though they may be a little bit younger, they may be a little bit more talented, they understand the game. They understand that process a little bit more. So I think it's a give and take, um, you know, when you're talking about lining up players to make sure that you get the best the best group of players together to play with each other. I got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Following along with that sort of train of thought and, and who they could add, Shepard said that they have to be offensively more creative next year and spread the ball around. And that's something we've talked about, like literally every week is is ball movement. So maybe that sets things up better for them to entice a third guy. The other thing you mentioned was just they had to improve perimeter shooting. Bertans and Neto were the only two players on the team who shot above league average from three-point range this year, and Neto did so on much smaller volume than Bertans. So I, I think you have to hope that Bertans gets back to what they expected him to be next year, but they still need help above and beyond that. You need Brad probably to get back to what he's been as a career three-point shooter instead of what he was this year. But then Shepard also talked, well, he talked about the need for an athletic wing. So I asked him specifically, you know, last year going in the offseason, you said a shot blocking big or an athletic rim protector. I forget how he phrased it was, was the priority. They didn't get him in the offseason, but they got Gafford at the trade deadline. So I said, is a three and D wing like the number one thing you want to go off of. And he gave like a half-hearted yes and said they just really need a vet at that position, which is another thing that we've been sort of harping on. But then just said like, overall, we need more veterans. Uh, He raved about Ish Smith for a while. He found another opportunity to praise Russell and Bradley's leadership, which every comment seemed to circle back on that at a certain point. But then he said, we also need to add in defenders. Like we have to be better defensively. We need guys that want to play D. So we need an athletic wing. We need shooters. We need defenders. That seems like a good amount of roster turnover. And then he finished those comments by talking about the need for continuity. They want to bring a lot of guys back next year because that was the hardest part. You know, that led to their slow start this year was not having that continuity. Larry, how do you add in shooters, defenders, athletic guys, and maintain continuity? Yeah, you don't. Uh, you, you don't. I mean, that's that's you know, it sounds good, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it sounds good, but, you know, it, it could be the the voice, 
Right. I mean, when you're talking about all of these new pieces and, you know, what you didn't have, the things that didn't work out, I'd say you need to get better shots. It's not mm-hmm. that these guys can't shoot the basketball, but you have to get better shots. And it's almost a, a little bit of a curse that Brad didn't win the scoring title because I felt like he was chasing that scoring title and that may have just put him in positions to just take threes that weren't necessarily necessary or just do things that were, were trying to put points on the board. So I wish he would have gotten that so we can kind of just X that off of his, his list of things right. to do. He has the talent, can see him doing that later on down the road, but it has to fit with what they're doing. And it ha- and you have to make sure that you're not sacrificing, um, trying to score points and not taking good shots, but then how that affects your defense. And I've said it all season that the, the shots that they take, the offense that they play, it really affects their defense and it makes the players that, that are on that team that can play defense, it makes them look bad. They're not able to do their job because they're out of position or they're on the bench because they're not as elite of scorers as the other guys that are on the team. So I think that all those things play into the entire game. But I would say that how they play on offense makes them struggle on defense. And that's something that they need to cure up, you know, in order to move forward. Uh, just continuing with the sort of contradictory train of thought there, Shepard also said that their biggest path or avenue for improvement was internal player development. These younger guys taking another jump, and again, we've talked about that a lot too. You know, you need Ruby to take a step. You need Denny to take a step. You need Gafford. You need Thomas Bryant to come back healthy. You know, if you're adding in now veteran players and veteran wings, doesn't that also somewhat come at the expense of internal player development? I would think, you know, there's just less minutes for young guys to learn on the fly. Well, I mean, they're the, the general manager has the, the blueprint. I mean, they have the landscape of what's there and what it is. is You have to find out which players support other players, which players play best with other players. And then that's how you build your team. Just putting, players that are productive in a different situation or a different system and bringing them over to your system, that, that that's not going to guarantee that they're going to execute or be as productive over here as they were over there. So I think that with a general manager understanding the landscape of those guys that we name and how their development needs to progress, whether it be on the defensive end, whether it be studying film, and then you're bringing in players that complement the off the court, but they also complement the on the court. So it is a tough, I mean, these guys get paid a bunch of money, but it's not, I mean, the days of just bringing guys in and just throwing players out on the court, uh, I think are over because of the skill sets, because of the, you know, the huge abilities that these guys have. So it's now just finding how do you support those guys that you're building around with the right people. And normally, I mean, I'm going to say it's going to be veteran players that are, you know, five, six, seven years in that can, you know, relay that message. Draymond Green was on uh, one of the, I think like the the TNT shows and, and talked about how, what the Wizards have done to try to add young guys and rookies around Russ and Beal is not going to work, that they need to continue to add veterans to, around these guys. Uh, just with that train of thought, do you see any situation this offseason where some of those young guys for the Wizards might get packaged up and, uh, you know, flipped for a veteran player? I think it's possible. I think that, that those cards should be on the table. 
I, you know, I still as watching as much NBA basketball as I have played and playing the game. Um, you know, having veterans on your team is a positive. I mean, obviously they have to, to, to have some game, but having that experience on your roster and on your bench, uh, it helps you immensely, you know, on the court and off the court, in the huddles, um, you know, being a different, a, a, another voice. Those are things that you can't, you know, you can't quantify necessarily because it's, it's the, you know, the conversation that happened in the locker room. It's, it's the messaging that goes from the coach to the player and then the player gives to the, to the other players. So those are things that are, you know, are, are those are little hidden rules uh, that veterans bring to the game. And I think that some of these teams, you know, including the Wizards, you know, struggle with that combination of veteran players versus young players and then growing those young players into those veterans that they see every day, day in and day out. I like that five to seven year window that you mentioned, though, because like in your day, I don't think anybody would have considered a guy in year five like a veteran necessarily. But in today's NBA, like that's a seasoned pro. And I think if they're going to take these young guys and turn them into air quotes a vet, I'd rather it be for somebody on the younger end of that. Like this guy gets it. He's established enough. But there's also still some potential that he could continue to get better. Like you see the Danny Greens of the world helping teams like Philly, but I, I just wouldn't want to like give up a young dude for somebody in year 11. Uh, just, just given the age of the rest of the players on your roster, that would make me a little nervous that they're, that they're going too all in and sacrificing the future for, you know, to be the five seed or, or whatever the, the ceiling might be here. Yeah. Cause there's a balance. I mean, you have the regular season and then you have the playoffs. Like you have to have enough speed to get you to the playoffs. And that comes with the young guys that understand how to play, but that's also a mix of veteran guys that obviously can continue to pass that message on. Um, and I mean, and that's, that's just how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and he said that to bolster their depth against injuries, that would be another offseason priority. Uh, and he's not afraid to take big swings and then moves, uh, like I said, moves need to be about production. And I don't know, it was a lot of like sort of GM jargon and stuff like that. I don't think any GM goes into their postseason interview and says that they're afraid to take big swings. I, I, you know, how many of them actually do that, I think is probably a pretty small percentage, you know, two or three teams a year seem to take like a real big swing. So I'd be curious to see what, you know, what that uh, conflates to in, in Tommy Shepard's mind. Another large portion of Tommy Shepard's media session, Larry was spent around what to do with Scott Brooks. And he said performance and opportunity to take the Wizards to the next level would be the key factors when evaluating coaching staff. If you look at performance, I, and you just said that first round exits aren't acceptable anymore. I would take that as not a good endorsement of Scott Brooks's chances of being back for next year. But he also kind of backpedaled that a little bit by saying Brooks did an amazing job. And, and to a point you made last week, you know, this team could not have made the run it did at the end of the season, regardless of strength of schedule or whatever, if they weren't still mostly bought in. And I, I think there's definitely something to that. But I, I don't know that that necessarily means he's the guy that can take you to the next level. And part of what Shepard sort of alluded to is that whatever they do is not an endorsement on Brooks and the job he did this year. It's, okay, who's the guy who can get them over the, the next hump there? Just on the side, I've been reading this Larry Bird book about his coaching tenure or whatever, and his, his stance was that you should never have a coach for one particular team for more than three years. 
because players start to tune that guy, that same voice out uh, after, after that amount of time. And a little different in his day because there wasn't as much player movement, so it's all the same guys. But in your experience, is there some truth to that where, like, if you just have the same coach for, like, a four- or five-year window, like, guys sort of glaze over a little bit? No, I think if it's the right guy, if he has the right messaging, a good, solid character, good dude, I think it's good to have that because you start to create continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to, you know, the players on your team understands the exact role that they have. I mean, the guys that are going to be mainstays, they understand what their role is because the coach is able to preach that year after year. I mean, that gives a, you know, that creates, you know, uncertainty when you have a coach that's, this coach may come in for two years. Well, if I'm signing a three-year deal or four-year deal, then I'm going to be in this deal and I don't know who this coach is going to be. So I think the coach factors into having these conversations that Brad is having as to who, who's going to be the coach. Like, and, and, and how comfortable are you with him being the coach? Uh, what do you like about the coach? Um, you know, is he going to be around for X amount of years? I think that these are the things that they have to figure out before they even talk to a free agent as to what's their status with, 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 with Coach Brooks. Yeah, that's actually a really great point. And I definitely not sort of thought about the timing of that because part of what Shepard said was that, you know, Brooks is the coach of this team until his contract runs out at the end of June. And between now and then we'll decide if there's an extension. Free agency happens earlier and earlier every year now. And as much as these guys do that sort of recruiting themselves, I that would probably make make me want them to prioritize this and sort of make that decision sooner rather than later. Like, I don't know if, you know, by June 28th or whatever the deal is, uh, if he's still the coach, if, if that's a plus or minus for potential free agents and sort of making up their mind on where they want to be next year. Yeah. I think it factors in. They asked Scott Brooks directly if uh, he'd like to be back next year. He said, I love it here. There's no decision in my mind. And then he started talking about, you know, what they're going to do this summer to work with the guys and improve them. And there's a lot of talking as, you know, as if I am still the head coach, which I, I don't know what else he's supposed to do. Like people were like, you know, he's assuming a lot. Well, what's he supposed to say? Look, I don't know if we'll do workouts because I don't know if I'll be here. I just, I can't fault the guy for that necessarily. But one of the things he, he said that I thought was particularly interesting. He said, you guys know a lot of the things that happened, but not all of the things a lot went on here. And I've just been, I've just kept fighting and fighting. There was no drama this year. We're just ballers. I've coached a lot of teams, but this team was fun because they just competed for one another. Sort of interesting. I, I don't know what he's alluding to that happened behind the scenes that we don't know about, but then said there was no drama. So that makes me assume that it wasn't player related, that it's more COVID and conditions and things like that. So I'm not really sure what to, to take away from that. Any thoughts on what that might mean, Larry? Well, I think, I think we do know. I mean, I think we have an idea. We know it was tough for every team in the league. We understand that they weren't able to practice. We understand they had to wake up early in the morning to be tested. We understand that their shooter rounds were completely different than what they would normally be for scouting reports and things of that nature. So we we do understand. I mean, we we get that. Um, so he's he's not alone in in you know having those thoughts of this was a crazy and wild year. Uh, it's just still. I mean, you have to go out and play the games. But, yeah, we, we understand that it was definitely, um, you know, definitely a tough year. And I wanted to be a fly on the wall just to hear how he was 
putting the plan together to get out of that situation. How, you know, how are you combating that situation, you know, on and off the court? But yeah, we completely understand it. It was definitely a tough, a tough year. And the way those guys fought down the stretch uh, to make the playoffs, uh, you know, he gets two clap. I mean, he, he, you know, he helped get that team to where, you know, the city and the organization wanted them to be and first round exit, but they, they accomplished one of their goals. I'm sure is that's to make the playoffs. You saw a lot of teams sort of peter out down the stretch this year, and I think that was just sort of the the grind of this particular season, I think mentally as much as physically got to these guys. And the fact that the Wizards didn't do that, I mean, you can give some credit to the veterans and stuff like that, but yeah, he he had to have something to do with that, presumably, and and his two big marquee players seemed to, to back that up. When asked about Brooks, Bradley Beal said, I've been with Scott, what, five years now, and every year has been different. He coaches his tail off. He goes out there and he's all about his team. He supports us, defend us, and wants us to do well. He's a true player's coach. I've been appreciative of him. Larry, this is a term that gets thrown out to literally everybody at some point in time. I feel like, uh, what does a player's coach actually mean for, for those of us who haven't played? Like, what's the difference? And is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think they have an understanding of, of just the understanding of the player. I mean, the understanding of, you know, when players need days off, you know, what frustrates players, how to, you know, bring the tension down uh, in, in, in huddles and in the locker room. So I think that there isn't such thing as a player's coach. I mean, you was, would kind of equate that to a, a coach that's actually played in the NBA to have a little bit better understanding of how players operate and how they think. Sure. But I think that is a, a real thing is, is to have, you know, coaches that really understand the ins and outs of, players and how they feel versus the job that they have to do. And I think that that's what when players say he's a player's coach, he's speaking on the coach understands how the player feels as opposed to, you know, it's just, it's just about the job. And I think that that's, that's a relationship that's, that happens, you know, often. You know, we, we heard that a few times this year too, but there were also situations where, you know, we had video game gate, you know, where Brooks said these guys are playing too many video games and they're not getting in here and watching enough film. Like that's sort of where I think that players coach mantra gets like a bad rap is maybe like too relaxed and too understanding. And uh, maybe you need a little bit of that old school, like, hey, get your ass in here and uh, get some work in. Is that have you ever had a situation where like a guy was just too relaxed with people or sort of too much of a player's coach? Uh, Mike D'Antoni. Okay. I mean, Mike D'Antoni, I know, I know, you know, players, some players love him. Um, but for me, it was, it was really lack situation because I was coming from, you know, I was coming from Cleveland. I was coming from Chicago and it's, it was more, um, defensive focused teams. Mm-hmm. And for me coming into New York, it was like, we were laxed on defense. Like we didn't really have a care in the world about defense. So I think that, you know, that could be thought of as, as, you know, players, he's a player's coach because everyone loves to play offense. So I would say that that's a situation where um, even though everyone loved to play offense, you can't be laxed on the defensive end, you know, and that's where I think that you could have a, a, you know, some problems there. Somebody like Larry Brown that played a lot of years of, of pro basketball too, did he have that to him, Larry? Like you think of him as sort of like the old school taskmaster, but he also played. Did he sort of like get it, you know, and, and give you guys a break when you needed a break and that sort of thing? 
Well, I had my best relationship. Um, obviously, I was drafted in Philadelphia. I got a chance to learn um, Larry Brown a little bit more at, when I didn't play for him. Mm-hmm. So being able to build that relationship without me being on his team, he, he still had love for me because I was the guy that he drafted. So even after I was gone, mm-hmm. we would still have interactions, and that's where I got the most um, the, the most benefit from the relationship. Sure. So I would say, you know, we didn't start as a – thinking that it was a, a, you know, he was a player's coach. But years down the road, when it was time for me to make a decision on um, if I was going to go uh, and play in Miami or if I was going to go and play with the Bobcats and go on a playoff run, I chose to go and play with the Bobcats because I knew LB and I knew who he was. So I wouldn't say necessarily he was a player's coach, but there was just a relationship that was built there that had an understanding that, I knew what the job he was trying to do and he knew what I was trying to accomplish as well. Where did sort of Eddie Jordan fall on that spectrum? Uh, I say Eddie was, Eddie was great. I love playing for Eddie. I think he understood his players and who he had and the system that he wanted to put in place, match those players. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of an easier connection, right? We've, you know, the, the players on that team, felt like he brought something that would help us out, help us move forward. And the way he went about it was it was equal opportunity. Uh, he understood that this guy wanted to score. He understood that this guy wanted to score. So that relationship was built. So I, I say that Eddie was, was, was a player's coach, um, you know, definitely for me. Yeah, that's cool. I, I figured folks would be interested to hear what, what that was like behind the scenes. Um, just following on with players endorsement, Russell Westbrook also said, as far as management, as far as ownership, that's not my decision. But personally, I don't see why Scotty should go anywhere. And he just continued to endorse him, said he did a hell of a job this year, and he should be applauded for the job that he's done with his ball club. And and that's great. I don't expect them to sort of throw him under the bus or, or anything like that. So so none of that was surprising. Uh, but just side-by-siding Scott Brooks with Randy Whitman, uh, his predecessor, essentially. Brooks in five seasons, the Wizards are 183 and 207. So that's a 47% win percentage or just under 47%. And they're 10 and 14 in playoffs. Randy Whitman in a little over four seasons, they went 178 and 199. So that's just over 47%. But their playoff record was 12 and nine. And Whitman still got fired. So if you know, you're looking at any historical context for what this organization might do with a coach with a similar record. It doesn't seem to bode particularly well for Scott Brooks. And there was some reporting that his agent was at a lot of the Wizards postseason home games and was seen sitting with some of the other front office folks. And I guess there's another rumor that, well, not a rumor, but we've heard it reported that Brooks and Tommy Shepard share the same agent. And, you know, so I don't know how much any of those things go into it behind the scenes either, but I think that's probably the biggest question for for fans right now is like who coaches this team next year. Yeah, I mean that's a, a huge question. I mean, you see Portland exits out the the playoffs, and you know the next day they're talking yeah. about you know who's going to be the next coach. So that's that's going to factor into again, you know, Brad having conversations around about conversations about you know we should do this or that. You know who's who's going to be the coach. And I think you have to look at the scenario where you have, you know, your head coach and your associate guy, you know, where I look at that as somewhat pressure on, on the actual head coach, but mm-hmm. I think it just gives you 
more brains on the bench. I give, it gives you more accountability, um, not only with your team, but also through your coaching staff. Um, and with the right group and with the right mix, I think that that works. Um, so you may have to take a look at that um, just because you, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, you don't know. Yeah, having like a sort of viable next option, I think gives you as an organization some some flexibility there. If you do have to make a midseason move, you look at some of these teams that their first assistant was a multi-time head coach and things like that, and, and that seemed to work out pretty well. You saw Dallas last night after they lost to the Clippers. Mark Cuban immediately said, like, we're not going to make a coaching change, like within 20 minutes of the game ending. So yeah. I think that uh, helps players sort of figure out, like you said, where, where they're going to next year and what to look at uh you know what to look forward to uh, a couple other player comments daniel gafford said his number one offseason goal is quote most definitely add as much weight as i possibly can and also work on my conditioning i can't be out there gassed if i want to be out there 20 plus minutes every single night my conditioning has to be top tier i thought it was a little funny that he led with add as much weight as possible i don't necessarily look at gafford as a guy that's sort of scrawny or, or needed to bulk up particularly. So if I was worried about not being able to play 20 minutes a game and I already weighed, my coach mentioned I weighed 260 pounds. I don't know if bulking up to 280 seems like the best way to, to help with that conditioning. Uh, does that concern you at all, Larry? Yeah. Hell yeah. Like either he needs a vet around him, a teammate, like he needs somebody in his court trainer or something, somebody in his corner to give him, you know, the, a clear picture of, of what he needs to do during the off season to pick up weight. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, this game is, is starts and stops. Obviously you have to be physically strong, but it's not about any sort of weight gain and being in condition to play 20 plus. Okay. But 20 plus, maybe 25, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you should be in the, I need to play 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's that should be your goal coming in, going into the offseason is I need to get myself, my ability, my skills up where I can play 30 minutes plus versus 20 minutes plus. So I just think that he's you know trying to say, you know, the things that he's going to do to to help the team next year. But make sure I'm, well, I'm hoping that he's, he gets some direction as to you know how to accomplish those goals and what his mind his mindset should, should really be. Yeah, the 20 plus minutes part, I was like, no, no, no shoot a lot higher than that. And if you only play 20, then you'll be super fresh. And that helps over an 82 game season. So uh, that was interesting. Not surprisingly, Bradley Beal praised Russell Westbrook said having Russ here was incredible. I've done nothing but cherish his presence since the moment he got here and said that having Westbrook around is promising and that Westbrook lifts him up. Well, that's nice. I'm glad that, you know, that, that they don't hate each other at the end of the year since they're going to be stuck together for a while. Uh, the thing I thought was interesting, Westbrook kind of issued an off-season challenge to Rui Hachimura, said Rui has so many different tools. He's so good. He's so talented. My challenge to him is to be able to do it every night. I, I don't disagree in a vacuum. Like You need him to be more consistent, but we talked about how Rui shot 61% from three-point range in the playoffs, but only on nine shots, total shots a game, and he shot 60% from the field on nine total shots. Uh you know, can a guy do it every night if they don't actually get consistently involved? I mean, that seems like a rust problem as much as a Rui problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for a guy to, to get involved. Um, 
you know, you got guys shooting 20 plus times. I mean, that, that that's tough. I mean, you're going to get the ball around, uh, you know, you get one or two shots a quarter, you know, you're trying to find a rhythm that way. So I think that those guys have to sacrifice in order to push Rui forward. So they have to sacrifice a little bit of what they do to push him forward because he is, um, he is on the come up. I mean, you have to explore what he's able to do and how he's going to be able to help your team. I think he quieted some of the noise, you know, the, the last few pl playoff games and he played well. Uh, that's how he's going to have to play. Like Russ said, night in and night out. Uh, but again, those guys are going to have to sacrifice what they're doing to make sure that he's able to accomplish what the team needs him to, to accomplish. He's not a guy that's going to just step out and just go, you know, full court rebound, right. you know, push the ball, take his, take shots. He's going to, he's guys going to play with a little bit of system mm -hmm. and they have to make sure that they, they help him out. And, and Brooks also said like, wow, you know, Rui and Daniel Gafford both outperformed what we expected of them and they played better in the playoffs. Like, well, they also got more minutes in the playoffs and, and by virtue of lack of options, they had to be more involved. So that should tell you that if you give them more responsibility, they'll they'll live up to it. A couple fan questions here to close us out, Larry. Uh, have a Lipton asked, what was a typical offseason like when you were playing? Do the coaches keep in contact? Do you have workouts with your teammates or mainly solo? And how do players balance rest versus training for next season? Well, for me, it was it's, it's different than it, it is now. Um, we didn't have the, you know, the assistant coaches come out uh, later on in my career that started to happen where you could get an assistant coach to come to your hometown or mm -hmm. come to a city where you were spending some time and work out uh, and work on the things that they were going to do uh, next season. And so that's, again, you know, it's very important that the organization knows, you know, who the coach is going to be because if you're sending assistants out to work on things that are, you know, that, that are going to be in the system, offense or defense, it's going to do that player justice if he knows who that coach is, right? If you, if you send a coach out and then now that coach is gone, he's just been working on stuff that doesn't pertain to what he's going to do or be needed to do in the next season. Uh, but for the offseason, it's, it's just really good to work. Uh, you have to take your, your four weeks off, six weeks maybe, uh, to heal up anything that's sprained or broken. Uh, and just really let the the tissues, you know, just kind of, you know, grow back together. Um, and then you start with your conditioning. It always starts with conditioning because there's no way to simulate playing NBA basketball in the off season. So as much conditioning as you can get through the off season, the better that you're going to be uh, once you start training camp. Um, and then it's about routine. You know, it's about routine. It's about understanding the shots that you're going to get, the plays that you're going to be able to make uh, during the season. And then you go and start to try to work on those things uh, while you're playing pickup basketball or whatnot. Uh, but it's it's a year-round process. There's, there's no real off-season. If I say it's an off-season, it's that four to six weeks uh, that you have right after the season. Were there pickup games the way you see them now where, like, you'd have 10 NBA guys on a court all at one place? And were you doing that in St. Louis or, you know, moving around in the summers? Like, how did that kind of work? Yeah, so, so early in my career, I was uh, in Chicago. Uh, Tim Grover was was my trainer, uh, MJ's trainer. That's mm -hmm. actually how I met MJ early on. Uh, was with Tim Grover, uh, but a bunch of guys in Chicago. I mean, Chicago's has always been a hotbed for talent, but you know, just a number of pros are from the Chicago area, so they made it that their summer home. Mm -hmm. uh, so we would work out 
you know, at Hoops Gym. Um, like you said, 10, 15, 20 NBA guys, overseas guys coming in to work out. Uh, that was one opportunity that I had. And then later on in my career, we moved that same, pretty much that same operation was in Vegas uh, at Impact Gym with uh, Joe. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so Chauncey, T. Lou, uh, Al Harrington, you know, Jared Jeffrey. So these are all the guys that were under, I think one of the agents, I can't remember the agent's name, but I started to go out to Vegas and it was, um, you know, again, I lived out in Vegas for those three months in the off season, worked out every day, flew home on the weekends to see my family and my kids. Uh, but yeah, but that was the off season for probably nine straight years. That's pretty intense. I would imagine there are probably stretches of that where the off season air quotes is almost tougher than the regular season. If you're going, you know, two a days in the summer and, and, and grinding that hard. Uh, last sort of question for this week, uh, Sean Wayland asked, I'd love to hear us talk, uh, talk about if we would have rather had the season we had, or would it have just been better to tank this year and lock down a high lottery pick in, in retrospect is the way they played that the right way, Larry? I think so. I think so. You, you want to win uh, basketball games because, again, if you tank, then you're going to rely on a young guy. You're going to rely on a, a top draft pick. And the Wizards had nine last year, which is a really good pick. And even though Denny played, you know, professionally, there's still a learning curve, you know, one, two, probably three-year learning curve that these guys are going to have with coming into the NBA young. So, if that's your position where you have to, I mean, you don't, you're not talented enough and you end up in that spot, that's one thing. Uh, but to lose on purpose or to not do things uh, in, a, in a professional way, I don't think that that would have benefited the Wizards at all. And I think that that would have put a stain on Brad's, um, just his thought process of what is he really doing uh, if he's not able to compete uh, in the playoffs or even for a championship, you know, moving forward. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think I might feel a little different if they had done what they did and then not won the playoff games and ended up out of the playoffs. Like that might have tainted my view on on how they rolled things out if you still had like, you know, the 14th pick, but then you didn't make the playoffs. So I think the way it worked out for them was honestly best case scenario considering the way that it started. Yeah, Matt, you got two games that that you can run back with Rui and Gafford all through the out the, the off season uh, that's going to benefit them going forward. If they weren't in that position to make the playoffs or fight for a playoff spot, they wouldn't have got that opportunity to, to prove to the NBA because, you know, a lot of teams were just watching that they can actually play. So I think that that should give them confidence uh, rolling into next season for sure, because of that reason. And you can say whatever you want about they won a game because Embiid didn't play or whatever, but they still had to win a playoff game against a good team. And, and that carries over and, and kind of gets that sour taste out of your mouth of being swept and having to think about it all summer. So I'm happy enough with that. Uh, Larry, any parting thoughts on the rest of the playoffs or anything that you're particularly looking forward to or, or stuff that you're kind of most excited to see uh, as the NBA closes out you know, the rest of the year here? Uh, just continue to, to enjoy the competition. Uh, just continue to, to watch players play at a high level. I uh, just want to see the referees just stay out of the way. I mean, be nice. you know, these guys are, are, are high-level players and talented players, and I know things, you know, in the officiating space are, are mandated. But it just takes away from what we know as playoff basketball and how, how we expect guys to compete, right? We see a, a play that's going on, 
in playoff basketball, we have expectations that this is going to happen. And the way things are going, the way the, the game is officiated, uh, you kind of look down on a player if he's not hustling back to contest the layup. I mean, these, these points and things matter, but you kind of understand because it could be a flagrant one, flagrant two, and you can throw yourself completely out of the game. So that's something that I've been watching through playoff basketball, especially this year. You know, we understand that playoff basketball is different. So I think that it should be officiated uh, in that manner and obviously holding guys accountable for things that are completely out of bounds. but. I think we got to get back to, you know, when playoff basketball comes around, it, it just means a little bit more than uh, regular season basketball. And I think it should be officiated that way. Yeah, I think a good hard foul is less about the foul now and more how the player reacts to it or how they land or, you know, like just because somebody looked like they had a tougher fall doesn't mean that play was necessarily a flagrant. I just that that sort of rubbed me the wrong way, too. Uh, All right, we'll have some more playoff breakdown for you, and we're going to go through next week the sort of list of players on the roster, how we felt about them, where we think they could, you know, use some improvement or some upgrades and really break those things down. So if there's anybody specifically you really want us to do a deep dive on, let us know, and uh, we'll come in ready to, to spend extra time on that. As always, everybody, thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done